Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. It was a miracle that God allowed Joseph to accomplish what he did after the hatred of Joseph's brothers against him. I mean, and that they were all reconciled and back together again. It was a miracle that God allowed Joseph to to accomplish that after a horrible famine that threatened to kill off Joseph's family and that Joseph was able to, to save his family alive. It was a miracle that Joseph was allowed to accomplish what he did after what happened there when the famine threatened to kill off Egypt and Joseph was able to save Egypt alive. It was a miracle that God was uh, uh, enabled Joseph to lead so many Egyptians to faith, to eternal life by trusting in the true God. And when we get to heaven, I'm looking forward to, we're all going to look forward to, to meet those, some of those Egyptians who are, you know, we're going to say, tell me your story. And when they tell us our story, they're going to, you're going to hear the word Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. And it was a miracle. So again, from the mouth of Temeskin, it doesn't matter when Joseph died. What mattered is what Joseph was able to accomplish before he died. And it's so easy for us in life just to get caught up with our health and trying to stay alive and to live a long life, and it becomes the focus of our lives. we got to eat healthy. we got to exercise to stay healthy. You can tell I've given up all that stuff. I'm free from that. And trying to turn the clock back, you know, with Lipitor that's going to give us cholesterol values like when we were young. And, and it's so easy to get caught up with health that we lose sight of, well, what are we accomplishing for God's glory and for God's kingdom before we die? Damascus says, I'm not afraid to die because everyone's going to die. It doesn't matter when you die. What matters is what you accomplish before you die. And what was really important to Damascus is that his friends got saved. And so, so Damascus had a friend named Semenyu who was raised a Muslim in, in Ethiopia. Semenyu like many there, got tuberculosis and at a young age, so it caused him to have a, a total deformation of his spine called scoliosis. And Temeskin's friend Semenyu looked like the letter L. He was just bent over, and it was so painful for Semenyu that he couldn't sit in a chair for school. So he just went outside, he laid in the dirt, and, and classmates would come and bring him, bring him food. Semenyu heard that maybe he could get some help in Addis Ababa in the capital. He was a couple hundred miles away. And so one day, Semenyu couldn't take it any longer, so he just went out on the road all alone and started to hitchhike. And he hitchhiked down to Addis Ababa, and truck drivers felt sorry for him, picked him up, and he made it to Addis Ababa where he begged on the streets. And somehow, Semenyu met Rick Coates. I think Rick saw him. And Rick had compassion on him, and, and so he brought him along to live with him. And actually, Rick 
adopted him, adopted Semenyu, along with four other Ethiopian kids. And then Rick's paid for and sent. Well, Rick is supported by the Jewish uh, joint distribution. But anyway, so Rick sent Semenyu to uh, Ghana, where they have uh, expert surgeons for these kind of problems, for spine scoliosis. And they actually, when they did the operation, there was nothing they could do but just take his spine, couldn't connect it to anything, and just rest it on his hip. That's how it is with him. And then the Cohen family, as my attorney, brought Semenyu over to the U.S. and paid for him to attend a private school in Ohio. And I was actually able to go to his graduation ceremony. That was nice. And then Semenya was out in California visiting Rick's mother in Newport Beach. And I went up to meet them. And Rick's mom told me, yep, I have five grandsons. They're all black. And my son's never been married. (laughs) Semenya was one of them. So one day, Temeskin brought Semenya to me to talk to him because he wanted Semenya to find God. And so uh, I don't know why, but I opened to John chapter 9 about the blind man who was born blind, and the disciples asked about that. In John 9, verse 1, John 9, verse 1, it says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And when I was reading that, Semenya stopped me, and he said, that's me. He said, that's me. That's what the kids asked me in school. They would come up to him and say, and say, what did you do wrong that you were, that you were so crippled? And so, man, you told me that he didn't know how to answer them. He didn't know how to answer them. And so when I read further that how the Lord answered it, it said in, in verse 3, John 9, verse 3, Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. And when Semenyu heard that, that no one had sinned, it was like a great burden off of him. It was like a door opened up, and Semenyu wanted to become a follower of the Lord Jesus, and he prayed the sinner's prayer. Well, this was Temethkin, what doing what he could before he died, he, he, bringing Semenyu along so that Semenyu could be saved. And just like with how Joseph, this is what Temethkin did, this is how what Joseph, this is the great accomplishment of reconciliation in verse 22, when it says Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and then, okay. So now, we're kind of thinking about this, and we're thinking about in the previous chapters, there was a lot of drama. There was a lot of emotion going on. I mean, you have the life-threatening famine, and you got the brothers seeing that Joseph was the ruler over Egypt. A lot of drama. And the confession of the brothers and Pharaoh giving the best land to Joseph's family, and then bringing the bringing of Jacob and the rest of the family into Egypt, and the settling of the family in their new home in Egypt. It's just a lot of drama, a lot of emotion going on there. Well, now, when we come to verse 22, 14 years have passed by. 14 years have passed by since all the drama and the emotion. And that leaves the question, after all this time, was this really going to be a lasting reconciliation? Or, or were the brothers just kind of sink back into their old corner of hatred and envy against Joseph? I mean, it's one thing to do what you got to do when you're starving to death because of a family, and Joseph is the only way of survival. But now, after 14 years, life is good. Plenty is everywhere. So the more pressing question now is, is there really a change 
in the brothers? Is there really a, cha- a, la- a lasting change in the relationship with Joseph? I mean, there was so much embedded hatred of Joseph by, by the brothers. And the question is, now after 14 years, is it really gone? Is it really gone? So, in other words, when Joseph came down from the palace to visit his brothers in Goshen, was there any under-the-breath old comment from his brothers of, well, here comes this dreamer? Or was all the animosity really gone? And the answer to this question is verse 22. Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. This really is a statement of, and they all lived happily ever after. And seeing this question about with the brothers and and, and the long time, is really a more, it brings up a more important question about the descendants of these brothers or who are the Jewish people. There's been so much embedded animosity against the Lord Jesus Christ by the descendants by calling him Yeshu, which means may his name and his memory be forgotten. And this, this negative feeling towards the Lord Jesus Christ has gone on for thousands of years. So when the great conversion comes of the Jewish people, when they see the Lord Jesus for who he is for the first time in Zechariah 12.10, Zechariah 12.10, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn. The question is, will that really be a lasting conversion of the Jewish people? I mean that just like there was a lot of drama, there was a lot of emotion for, for Joseph's brothers, there's going to be a lot of drama and a lot of emotion for the Jewish people with the world converging on with, with war against Jerusalem, the fall of the city of Jerusalem, the rape of all the women, as it says in Zechariah 14.2, Zechariah 14.2, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem in battle. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And there's going to be a murder, a tremendous murder. Hitler murdered one-third. This is going to be twice as bad. Two-thirds of all the Jewish people are going to be murdered. In Zechariah 13.8, Zechariah 13.8, it shall come to pass in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, and a third shall be left therein. It's a lot of drama, a lot of emotions going to happen before the, before the Jewish people see the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question really is, is that reconciliation really going to last between the Lord Jesus and the Jewish people? And the answer to that comes in, in, in Jeremiah 24.7. Jeremiah 24, 7, I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They shall be my people. I will be their God. They shall return unto me with their whole heart. And Jeremiah 30, verse 22, Jeremiah 30, verse 22, you shall be my people. I shall be your God. And Jeremiah 31, 1, Jeremiah 31, 1, at the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel and they shall be my people. So the, the verse we're looking at in verse 22, Genesis 50, verse 22, it shows that the reconciliation was permanent between Joseph and his brothers. And his verses I just read in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah, they show that the reconciliation will be permanent between the Jewish people and the Lord Jesus Christ. But the key to having a permanent reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers, it didn't depend on Joseph's brothers. It depended on Joseph, and that's why verse 22 does not say, and Joseph's brothers dwelt in Egypt with Joseph. It was Joseph who had to show that he forgave his brothers and that he was reconciling to them before there could be any lasting reconciliation 
And in the same way, the burden is on the Lord Jesus Christ, who will show that he forgives the Jewish people, and that will open the door for the lasting and permanent reconciliation. And it's the Lord Jesus who makes this call, or who made this call, of a full forgiveness of the Jewish people when he said in Isaiah 40, verse 1, Isaiah 40, verse 1, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and her iniquity is pardoned. And the same is true for us. The same is true for us. It was the initiative of the Lord Jesus Christ that's the key to us having a lasting reconciliation with God. When it says Romans 5.8, Romans 5.8, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was not when man was really trying to get God to change his mind and love him. It was when man was sinning against God that God took the initiative and died for man's sins. When you look at Isaiah 53, 6, Isaiah 53, 6, it starts by describing our attitude toward God. And it says in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So here's man, he's acting like a wayward sheep. He's wandering away from God. And what happens? In the midst of that, God lays on the Lord Jesus all our iniquity. So just as it was Joseph's initiative of love toward his brothers that made the reconciliation to be permanent, so it's the initiation of love by the Lord Jesus that makes our reconciliation with God permanent. So when it says in verse 22, Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, this is a statement because we said this 14 years. This is a statement of consistency. In other words, I don't know, it's 14, I'm not sure it's 14, it was many years. It was a statement of consistency. In other words, Joseph did not change his mind. You know, Joseph didn't wake up one day and said, wait a minute, my brothers are really dirty rats. I remember what they did to me. How could I forgive them? What was I thinking? No, he, that was not Joseph. It shows the sterling quality in Joseph's life. Joseph doesn't change. Joseph is stable. He doesn't change. With Joseph is what you see today is what you'll get tomorrow. And that's what we see in Joseph's life, this wonderful consistency. He starts right in life. He stays right in life, and he ends right in life. And we can just, you know, we can just picture Joseph up there at the castle there, just walking through the castle doors, and he's singing, constantly abiding. Jehovah Jesus is mine. You know, you sing the song. And aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus is described in the same way in Hebrews 13.8? Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Aren't you glad the Lord Jesus doesn't say one day, wait a minute, my people are dirty rats. Remember what they did to me? Just look now, they've fallen into sin again. What was, how could I forgive them? What was I thinking? And, and just as we see Joseph in verse 22, not changing his attitude toward his brothers in his life, we see the Lord Jesus never changing also. In, in Hebrews 13.5, Hebrews 13.5, he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In 1 Samuel 12, 22, 1 Samuel 12, 22, the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. And, and Psalm 37, 28, Psalm 37, 28. The Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. Now, in verse 22, 
it's interesting when it uses the word dwelt there. The Hebrew word is interesting, which behind the word dwelt, it's the word yashab. Hebrew word. And, and it means to sit down. Yashab means to sit down. So you could look at verse 22, and it says, and Joseph sat down in Egypt. Clearly what it means. And it reminds me, when, when I go to the doctor's office, which I've been doing more, you know, and when I go to the doctor's office, I'm all psyched up. You know, I'm going to see the doctor, and I gotta rem- I'm going to remember everything i got to tell the doctor. I don't want to get finished. Walk out and say, oh, I forgot to tell the doctor this. You know, there's, I got to tell the doctor, the doctor about this owie and that owie, and, you know, and do I really have to continue taking this pill? How about if I stop it? And how about when I go into AFib, I just take a triple dose? I got all these questions. All these questions, I'm all psyched up, about, and I open a doctor's office, and I'm ready. And you know what the receptionist tells me when I first walk in? What is Yeah, have a seat. <laughs> have a seat. Take a seat. Wait. And when we're ready, we'll call you. And meanwhile, I'm all ready. But I'm told to sit down, which, of course, is not very easy for me. And so this is what makes the statement in verse 22 about Joseph, Yashab, sitting in Egypt. For Joseph, Egypt, Egypt was God's waiting room until God was ready for Joseph to come home to heaven. So Joseph sat in Egypt, just like me sitting in the doctor's office lobby. And for us, earth is our waiting room where we sit and we wait for God to call us to come home to heaven. And for some, like Pastor Jim, like Jerry Pollock, they've been sitting in the same waiting room with us, only they got called before us. And when they passed away, just men, all men, was that the door open, their names were called before us, and, and we were told, just keep waiting and pick up a magazine. Just read it. This is what Joseph is described as doing in Egypt. He's Yashab. He, he's sitting down in Egypt with, along with his father's house. And they're all sitting in Egypt waiting for the glorious day when the door's going to open, God's going to call them home. This is the difference between those who are yielded and obedient to the Lord Jesus and those who are self-willed and rebellious against the Lord Jesus. You know, the yielded are like Joseph. They see their lives as sitting in the waiting room, expecting the door to be opened, their name to be called, and they'll go to be with the Lord. Whereas the self-willed and the rebellious say, that door's never going to open. My name's never going to get called. Because when you're dead, you're dead. And there is no waking up after death. Which is why we're encouraged we're encouraged in the Bible to know that it won't be long. It won't be long. The door's going to open in James 5.8. James 5.8, be ye also patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Basically, that word is saying, the doctor won't be long now. Your name is going to be called, so just wait. And the question is, how was Joseph waiting there in Egypt? And the question is, how are we waiting in our waiting room, we called? And the answer is given to us, in, in Isaiah 40, verse 29, Isaiah 40, verse 29, he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. They that wait upon the Lord, that's how we are to wait. We're waiting in a state that's called the faint, that are given power. We're waiting in a state that's called those that have no strength, and we're given power. We're waiting in a state of those who are renewing their strength, 
And in our waiting room of life, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, every time you go into a doctor's office, told a waiting room, I want you to think about this. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon you. So we are described as those in weakness, with infirmities, where our strength is made perfect with the power of Christ resting on us. We're described by Ephesians 3.16. Ephesians 3.16, which says that he would grant unto you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. We're described as being strengthened in the inner man by God's spirit. In our state of, of waiting there in the doctor's office lobby, we are described as in, in Philippians 4.13, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So we're described as being able to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And the difference between the world and the Christian is how they make that statement in, in, in Philippians 4.13. The world states Philippians 14 as just saying, I can do all things, period. But the Christian says the complete statement of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And that's the reason why we can say in, in our own personal testimony, 2 Corinthians 12.10. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, therefore I take pleasure in, in infirmities. Think about this context of Joseph in this verse, 2 Corinthians 12.10. I take pleasure in infirmities. Think about Joseph. I can do all things in reproaches, no, it doesn't say I can do all things. I'm all confused. I get all confused. Therefore, I take pleasure. Infirmities and in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. That's Joseph. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, I am strong. Because that's what Joseph was. His brothers and his father, they saw him as a foolish dreamer and full of pride. Reproaches. His brothers tried to kill him and ended up selling him as a slave. That's persecutions and distresses. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife for something he didn't do. Again, it's distress. He wasted away in a prison with a stain on his character, like Brett Kavanaugh. He was forgotten by the chief butler. And all the while, God is saying to Joseph, Joseph, cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils. This is Joseph's weaknesses in which he was made strong. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being the God of Joseph. Help us, Lord, to trust you and to and in our lives, Lord, to not waste away, but to have adventures with you while we're waiting for you to call us in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. 
You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, Creation Museum and Tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 